All right, and welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We're uh, intermittent this early in the season. We're in in the end of preseason. The Buffalo Bills have resolved their 53-man roster for the moment. Uh, It's sure to change, you know, maybe one or two positions here. In the short term, they actually cut their long snapper, Reed Ferguson, which is always expected because he specifically has his contract structured so that he can be signed back later so they can kind of sneak somebody onto IR. Um, Something Bean has done over and over, but not really too many surprises. Um, Also, we have a trade to talk about, Dan. How are you feeling about this 53-man roster in general? Normally, I I hate preseason predictions. Uh, I think the prediction business is silly. That being said, those of us that pay close attention to the Bills pretty much expected that this would be the 53-man roster. So in an era where I think predictions are silly, I'm also going to hypocritically take credit because I basically call this 53-man roster, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, Generally speaking, I was not surprised by the moves, but also heartened by a couple of them as well. And we'll get to this when we talk specifically, I think, about the offensive line. We had been through the the dregs that were Roger Saffold last year and David Questenberry, and we hoped against hope that the Bills would find an answer to not bring Questenberry back this season. Lo and behold, it looks like they did. And what's more is they continued a really positive trend of getting younger and a little bit more athletic on that offensive line as well. So some heartening moves there. Now, if only Bean could draft better in the second round of drafts, JJ, I think we'd be okay. Um, But I think we should start there. So before we dig too deep in the 53-man roster, to understand where things landed, it is best to look at it through the lens first of a trade that the Buffalo Bills orchestrated with Buffalo Bills, uh, New Jersey, i.e. the New York Giants, um, and former Bills administrator uh, Joe Shane who was part of the Bills uh, GM regime when they drafted one Boogie Basham, who has now been traded to the New York Giants for basically what amounts to a swap of late-round picks. I think the Bills get something like a fifth-round pick, and they'll send a seventh-round pick and Boogie Basham to the Giants, something to that effect. I think it's a sixth. It's not even even a fifth. Yeah, I think they improved from seven to to six. Unreal. So, JJ, here is... Here is, and I'm just going off the top of my head, so tell me if I'm wrong. Here is the second round draft history of Brandon Bean thus far. I want to say it was Zay Jones, mm-hmm. then Cody Ford, then AJ Epineza, mm-hmm. then Boogie Basham, mm-hmm. right? Yep, that's right. You're, you're right so far. And uh, I um, would say that Zay is probably a McDermott pick because that was yeah. 17 that wasn't his draft class wasn't being true class. it was true true the pre it was uh whaley's draft class technically and right. staff and mcdermott yeah yeah but we have mcdermott was running that thing yeah. and him and bean are like usually lockstep um james cook yep. and osiris torrance yes now high hopes for cook and torrance looks like he's gonna start over Bates. absolutely so is Bean may be correct yes yeah. bean may be correcting it over recent history we hope to get some of these young second round picks to produce. But Basham, mm-hmm. like Cody Ford, traded while still in their second their yeah. rookie contract on second round. Um this has been a this has been a, a pain point, I think, for the Buffalo Bills. And you could really even extend it into the third round if you wanted to go that far too. 
Uh, jury's still out on on Gabe Davis, but you've had what Terrell Bernard. You've had Dorian Williams, who looks like he's going to get a spot on the roster, but who knows what position who, who he's knows? playing at the? Who knows, right? So these these day two picks have really not been favorable to Bean. Well, um, and, and who's yeah. the third rounder that they traded to the Colts, who's probably out for the season, the running back, whose name I already oh, forgot. Uh, Zach, Mo- Zach, Zach Moss. Moss. Yeah. I can't believe you forgot Zach I already Moss. Forget. He was that forgettable. <laughs> like, he was either injured or ineffective. Like, he didn't JJ, do anything. JJ, he w- he was going to be a bowling ball yeah, of knives right. was the description coming out of Bill's Didn't he say coming out of uh, the draft that he made people make business decisions? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the Bills did make a business yes. decision to trade him he's to not Indianapolis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, this is all this is all tongue in cheek. But when you have a quarterback of Josh Allen's contract value, but also franchise value, you need to hit. The reality is on some of these draft picks on not just not just first round, but day two as well to sustain your roster. So on one hand, we like the Vandermark and we like the Alec Anderson move because it is a move away from what has been the MO of this team to go towards overpriced veterans to fill holes because they can no longer afford to do it. But they are not filling those holes with second, third, and even fourth round picks. It's a lot of undrafted guys that granted they get a they have a really good eye for and ability to develop, but they're not hitting with some of the capital that they store up season after season in the draft as well. So they move on from these guys. I think Wyatt Teller, granted Teller was a fifth round pick, the ghost of him seems to loom over a lot of these decisions as well. So the decision to move on from Ford was one that I think that was overdue. The decision to move on from Basham, I... I I think it could have been interchangeable. You could have traded Basham or you could have traded Epineza probably. My guess is Bean fielded offers for both. And it was just a matter of what team gave him the better offer at this point. But regardless, they are waiting, it feels like, to a point of no return where we see what these guys have and they're unwilling to move on from them because they moved on from Wyatt Teller so quickly. So we suffer through, what, two seasons of, of Boogie Basham? And he may go down as the worst being draft pick, not, not anything to do with his performance on the field, which I would say would be slightly below average and not total abomination. You would probably disagree, I'm sure, but it's, it's because of what was still on the board in that 2020 draft after we already had Russo in pocket. Creed. Probably the best interior lineman in the NFL with two, two Super Bowl rings walking for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. It's just, it's, Yeah. So, so we move on from in the Boogie Basham era and we see kind of like an uneasy shift in, in, in MO from being on where he's going relative to getting more youth on this team. But it's like, it's coming, it's coming on the bookends. It's coming in first round picks. And again, hopefully, hopefully Torrance and, and Cook change this. And then it's coming on like undrafted free agents and sixth and seventh round guys that they seem to develop. There is a lot of meat left on that bone in the middle rounds that Bean has not been able to exploit consistently in the draft. And moving on from Basham, I think, dredges up a lot of that recent Bean draft history that has so much of Bill's Mafia on edge. So, listen, there are a lot of layers we can unpack with this. There's a lot of tea leaves we can read as a result of this. But first and foremost, what is your take, JJ, on this on the, uh, on the this trade of Boogie Basham going to it, some familiar, some familiar friends over in New York. 
Well, I think the the familiar friends piece is is very important because I I I don't know. I just have the sense after seeing what was returned. I do believe I don't have this on. You know, I'm not super confident, but I do believe the Bills traded a seventh and Basham for a sixth, which is just asinine to me for a second round yeah, pick. For a second round pick in his third season, he still He's has still under rookie. One, He's got two more years yeah, under rookie control this season and next. And it's just like, it, it just feels like something that Joe Shane um, took took from, uh, you know, from Brandon Bean. It feels like Brandon Bean lost. And I think, you know, all the people on Twitter, who are, or I'm sorry, X, who are calling for Brandon Bean's head, um, I think that they're kind of idiots, um, to be honest. I mean, I can, I can be critical of Brandon Bean's misses in the second and third round. We've just talked about it and rehashed a lot of them. I can be critical of him you know, failing on these on somebody's second day two picks and then having to trade them away and, and getting peanuts back. But I can still believe he has a knack for building a good roster. This is consistently for all the years that he's been in Buffalo, been an improving roster year to year and also been a competitive roster year to year. And that's what's I think that's what's important. This offseason alone, looking at the interior off offensive line, you know, Cyrus Torrance pick looks like it's going to hit. You know, he's very good. Watched a lot of offensive line snaps, flailing Buffalo Bills guards for the past three seasons, and Osiris Torrance is not one of those. He can get beat a little bit on the inside with somebody who's a little shiftier and quicker. But if he gets his hands on anyone, they're done. And we talked about this when you know we first potted about their pickups. Literally, he touches somebody, and the rep is mostly over, even if his body's out of position because he's got these giant, you know, meat cannons. So um, I think that there's a lot of meat. And yeah, they're on the ends of his arms and they, they just stuff it. So, uh, but what I'm saying, what I'm getting at is I think it's fair to be critical. And I do think that they got, you know, Joe Shane took them for all they were worth with this Basham trade. It does not, I don't think Boogie Basham is good. I think he's a bust. He's probably a second or third stringer on most NFL rosters, but rosterable. I think that's his thing is he's a rotational defensive end who does a little bit of better work inside. He can make a splash play here or there, but he'll get beat on seven of his 10 reps every game on average. And so that's not somebody you want starting every game. And that I think is his NFL story based on just a couple of seasons we've seen him. Uh, but again, yeah, it's the things that they missed on to make these picks that are more frustrating, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's enough to call Brandon being a bad GM. I think he's still top third in the league GMs in terms of evaluating talent, managing the roster. His contracts are some of the best in the league when it comes to keeping them cap strong and making sure that even though they're up against the, the cap ceiling every season, they have outs, they have restructure opportunities. They do a lot of thing with things with option bonuses um, to make sure that they don't have huge balloon payments due to players that are past their prime. So I don't know. I all over, I think that it, it's okay. The Basham trade trade frustrates me because I do think that it's not enough of a return on that investment, but that also says all that you need to know about how this team feels about Boogie Basham, that they weren't even interested or they either weren't interested in getting a better value out of that pick or um, there literally was no one on the market. And that tells you something too, is they were not going to take a, you know, this offer, there were better offers. 
And I think a lot of teams were just sort of sitting on it saying, nope, let him hit waivers or, you know, we don't care to invest any sort of asset in this player. If he's available, sure, we might grab him. But if not, we're not trading for him. So it may have even been, you know, I still think that he's a better value than the Bills got back for him. But Joe Shane might have been doing Brandon being a favor, flipping late picks. Yeah, I was no one else is interested. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if it didn't seem like the market for Basham had really developed, nor for Epineza at this point, which tells you, as you said, everything you need to know. I, listen, it Bean is a good GM, and I'm, I'm trying to mentally transport myself back to 2015 and 2016 as a Bills fan and just, like, bathe in how far we've come. But And, and I will forever be grateful to Bean and McDermott for that. But they are the ones that have raised expectations. And at some point, they need to be held accountable to the standards that they have raised. And while the Basham trade and the Ford trade, taken as isolated incidents, do not mean being as a bad GM, I it does paint the picture of someone who was frivolous during the early years of his Elite QB's rookie contract because he could afford to splash around some picks, knowing that he had cap space to work with in order to sign up veterans to cover up holes that any of his draft picks potentially did not grow into. The Ford pick looks fr the frivolous, the Epineza pick, the Basham pick, they all look somewhat frivolous. The Basham pick in particular, because again, you were doubling down on a position you had already drafted for on the first round in Greg Rousseau. It looks wasteful to some extent. And as we know from what we have seen by the bar set in Kansas City, when your QB inks that long-term contract, the margin for error in the draft decreases to almost zero, fair or unfair. And playing with, and I worry about being, being able to operate successfully in a draft environment where you do need to be successful on more than 40% of your overall picks or whatever, whatever the success rate is, whatever the re-sign rate for the Buffalo Bills uh, is in the Brandon Bean era. You need a higher rate of success. And what I have not seen is that change in philosophy in approaching the draft. Now, chicken before the egg, right? There's the draft piece and the scouting element, but then there's the, the develop development element as well. Where is it falling apart? with some of these second and third round draft picks for the Buffalo Bills. Because Gabe Davis is in a contract year, and the Bills pretty seem damned if they do, damned if they don't in that regard. Because if he balls out and he is finally the dude that they have been almost irrationally hyping him up to be, they can't afford to re-sign him. So he's going to go somewhere else for a massive payday, and they're going to have gotten one good season out of a third round draft pick that they've tried to make their number two wideout for two years. You know what I mean? And then they're going to be back in the draft next year where they've basically got to turn over most of their secondary, large chunks of their defensive line because no one other than Ed Oliver, who is a starter, is signed beyond this year. And you're looking for wide receiver too. And Stefan Diggs is 30 years old. You know what I mean? Like, listen, this is a little bit sky is falling on my part. But this is why the draft is so important. And this is why as Bills fans, I think it's fair to get frustrated with the amount of misses that we've seen in the Bean era, be it on the scouting end or on the development end. Because the the while the roster is deep, it is also exceptionally temporary. With, again, 
a most mostly a mix of guys that we have had on the roster before and veteran signings that are basically trying out on one-year contracts to ring chase with Allen. So will I care ultimately if the Bills win a Super Bowl this year? No, probably not. I'll be drunk into 2024 enjoying it for a year. We won't, this podcast won't make any sense in 2024 because we'll never do a sober episode. You know what I mean? If the Bills win a Super Bowl. But is this team set up for long-term success? I think after the past few drafts, that is questionable. Josh Allen is our window, sure. But the limitations of what we're able to put around him from a roster and salary cap standpoint are only going to get worse, which makes the draft even more imperative. And I think it's fair to have our confidence, wait, confidence waver a little bit when it comes to the track record of Bean and McDermott in these recent drafts. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, yes, I will say that that is it's reasonable because essentially you want, OK, two things. We've talked about this with draft draft strategy before. You want to hit on about a third of your draft picks as reasonable starters. It's more just statistics wise. It's more likely that those third are your top three picks and not your last four picks. Right. Like um, or, you know, more picks, of course, more. Yeah, you're really your first and second rounders are, are the ones that you're looking to go. About 30% of all of your draft picks should be reasonable starters with some backups and, and things like that. I think they've been hitting on that rate, but like you mentioned a couple minutes ago, they've been hitting on that rate with reasonable starters coming from late rounds and undrafted free agents. And I think that that's why they've, they've had the kind of consistency I talked about of being a competitor, having the some of the best rosters we've seen in 20 plus years of Bills fan fandom. But I agree with you that that is never going to get you over the hump. And that's the part that we're so frustrated with as Bills fans is we finally have a good team, but we have a good team that always falls short in the key most falls short in the key moments. And that almost always comes down to, you know, big players making big plays and big time, right? Like that you need superstars for that. You need the shutdown, you know, you need Elam to be a shutdown corner and get a critical interception while the Chiefs are driving in the playoffs. You need um, Boogie Basham or Greg Rousseau or AJ Epineza to pull a strip sack fumble, right? Like at a critical time. But here we are waiting on, you know, 69 year old Von Miller to do that, two blown knees. Uh, and so I, I agree with you that is that there's criticism that's deserved. I think that both things can live in the same reality, right? Like it can be true that they've missed on some of those superstar picks and um, that's hurting the team. And it can also be true that this team is the best constructed roster, most competitive we've seen in a long, long time. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird, it feels like contradiction to be living in because the draft history recently, as we have, have said, has not been there yet. This roster is sound and competitive and it's, it is reasonably deep as well at certain positions, maybe not as deep as it has been in, in previous years, but I, I will tell you, man, if there was no salary cap, right, it's not like the bills would pay everybody a hundred million dollars, but if there was no salary cap and Bean could just go scout all of these like scrap pile cut guys that he seems to like mine gold from, like he could make a living just on that. So like, yeah, it, it is, it's frustrating to live in both worlds where we have bought, you could argue that we've had some meh drafts over the past couple of years, and yet we're still competitive because the same eye, eyes for talent that seem to miss on these 20, 21 and 22 year old players 
can find the 25, 26, and 27-year-old players that have some track records with the other teams. And maybe that's the key difference. Maybe it's the data, the, the, the comfortability of the data that the Bills pull. Because when you're mining like the Deontay Hardys and the Trent Sherfields and stuff like that, you have a set of pro data that you can go off of to better extrapolate and figure out how they're going to fit into your team. The college game has become more and more volatile and it's become uh, more harder and harder to gauge the success of where these players are going to be at. Trey Lance is a is case in point. Two years ago, the San Francisco 49ers and alleged QB whisperer Kyle Shanahan traded what? Three first round picks for this dude and they just traded him away for a fourth because their seventh round Mr. Irrelevant pick Brock Purdy has outplayed him and Sam Darnold, 28, 2018 first round QB flameout, has outplayed him to be the backup in San Francisco. It is volatile to project where some of these college players will ultimately land in the NFL. And it's fine if that's not your strong suit. And it really does feel like the Bills and their current GM regime are just way more efficient and shrewd working off pro data as opposed to the college data that they get to extrapolate some of these picks to. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true is that I think the pro scouting department is much stronger for the Bills. I mean, and and was even when, um, you know, Sean McDermott got Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer to come over as exactly. second and third string depth safeties, respectively, that he then Cole Beasley, brought, John yeah, he yeah. brought a lot of players in at different times. Mitch Morse, like that was a super smart signing oh, yeah. now because it probably was as critical for the development of Josh Allen as Brian Dable was of having that steady center, you know, game in game out, especially setting protections and those sorts of things at the line. Like I agree. I think that their, their pro scouting department is top of the top, probably a plus, but their college starting scouting department is probably like C, C, C plus. I think because they have, you know, I think it's weird. It's so weird for me because the, the, the way that they draft and the way that they pick up undrafted free agents, they have this like amazing, it almost feels like Madden, right? It's like this coaching staff has seven stars in uh, defensive back scouting, <laughs> yeah, right. but it is a half star in offensive interior alignment and tackles, right? Like it's just and def- and yeah, defensive, defensive edge, edge, right? right? Like, like, give me a break. <laughs> their weaknesses are these two positions and their super strength this is this. Like that's what it feels like because they have been so bad at evaluating talent, even with top picks in some of those critical positions, but have been incredible at digging out these gems from the bottom, you said, the roster heaps um, at the collegiate and pro level. And so I think that, you know. Christian Benford is about to start over Kair Elam, a sixth-round pick from Villanova. No shade at Benford. He's awesome against a first-round super athletic, like, like speed demon and Kyrie Elam coming from the University of Florida. That's case in point. Well, that's what that's what I mean is like I gave the Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde um, examples. Yeah. Um, Taron Johnson, a fifth round player out of Weber State, is probably one of the top five nickels in the entire league that they they scooped up. Right. Like the fung- the fungus that is Dane Jackson yes. as well. well that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Like Dane Jackson and before him, Levi Wallace undrafted out of Alabama was a starting cal is still a starting caliber cornerback in a zone scheme in the NFL and will be for will probably have a long tenure career doing that because he's 
reliable. He's excellent at reading routes and he tends to not be too far away to recover, to break up passes, even though he's super athletically overmatched at this level. Like they just have this knack for finding really smart football players in the defensive backfield who can overcome physical, you know, limitations that keep them from other teams' radars and play such technique sound football that they, they get by like, and it's the scheme, probably it's the coaching. It's the way they coach them up. Um, meanwhile, in the trenches, it's mostly a dumpster fire. And hopefully this year it's not right. Like, and I say that knowing that the Buffalo Bills have a top five scoring offense, knowing the Buffalo Bills have a top five defense every year and year out. Um, but that's their biggest weakness and has been since, you know, we've been basically doing this pod. Yeah. And you, it's interesting that you bring up the statistics, right? Top three defense, top three offense last season, but it doesn't always pass the eye test. And I get the eye test doesn't matter. It what matters is the yeah. result of the game, but there were just so many stretches last year where the, it just looked really hard for the bills. And it's in those moments where you really wish you had that like blue chip number two outside wide receiver opposite of digs that could break a game. And I think that that's the key separator. Like, I'm not saying that every team that beats the bills, like hits on their number ones and hits on their number twos. And they're stacked with some of this talent, this talent, but what they have done, I would argue that the bills have not done is find some of those first and second round separators that in key moments, because games are games against good teams in the playoffs are about moments, right? It's not about the aggregate. The aggregate is the 17 games you played before in the regular season. The playoffs are a new season and it is moment to moment. The aggregate no longer matters. And in those moments, other teams just seem to have guys that can rise to the occasion. And the Bills don't have some of those individual separators outside of Diggs and Allen on their roster. And that's where you feel the loss of it, right? So like a lot of this talent development that they're doing at the pro, the pro scrap heap level and the later rounds of the draft, like that's floor raisers where the bills have failed. I think to really develop any meaningful talent is on the ceiling raisers at this point. Like we still don't have that. And I think that's a good transition to go into the 53 man analysis here, because I think there's a lot of floor raisers and I think some really inspired moves on this 53 man. But this is largely the same roster as last year, with the exception of, of a couple of free agent additions and Dalton Kincaid. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, we know the floor is going to be high. We know the floor on this team is probably eight or nine wins, which is wonderful. great for, for Bills fans that remember anything past 2014. That's amazing. But is the ceiling 13 games on this roster? I don't think so. I think the ceiling is probably 11, and that makes the AFC an AFC East repeat probably very difficult right and that's that's just what we're talking about now we're not trying to be spoiled brats about it this is the standard that we have now been taught to expect and it's fair to analyze it from the standard that is coming out from one bill's drive yeah absolutely and I, I think that you're right i think the that is like one of the best ways that i've heard somebody summarize the problems with this good competitive roster is the, the ceiling raiser, right? Like, and that's kind of the, the point, the note I was trying to hit on um, when I mentioned that, like, the Bills have, you know, had solid competitive players, but they haven't had somebody who's like superstar outside of Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, um, you know, and maybe the end of the list, right? Like, 
Um, Matt Milano yeah. has occasional superstar moments. Tredavious White before his injury did. Um, Mike Hyde and Jordan Poyer probably count there, but they're late enough in their career. I would not count them in that same stratosphere now, right? Like if we don't see clean seasons from them and either of them misses some substantial time due to injury, I think it is fair to say that they are now average starters, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, they can do amazing things in small bursts, but it's not consistent like it used to be. So I agree. I think that's, that's probably the best way to describe it, the ceiling raisers and and that's sad because I, I think that they they need that. We want that. That's the only thing that we want out of life. Like you said, we do a whole year of drunken pods if uh, if they win a Super Bowl, probably. Um, Seriously, because yeah, I I don't know if that party would ever end. Um, but I I will I'd have to quit my job. I will say there are a few players on this fifty three, and we can go through it kind of position by position um, that get me really excited for the season in terms of they might still be floor raisers, but I think their floor is much higher than the predecessors that they've replaced on this lot roster. Um, a couple, you know, I think James cook has the potential to be one of the ceiling raisers. He can do some very special things. One can only hope. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And in the preseason, especially when he was running between the tackles, I was a little bit underwhelmed. I was like, Oh, you know, like did not have, that reliable vision and contact balance that we remember, you know, seeing all along with, with Motor Singletary. But um, but I think that, you know, an exciting next step for James Cook. And then Latavius Murray and Damian Harris, I think, have a lot to offer. And I think that is a massive, massive upgrade from the Zach Moss and Devin Singletary backfields of the past few seasons. So I think those those yeah. guys are bowling balls with yes. dives. Yes. That's who those guys are. Exactly. They were like, you know what? We missed on Zach Moss. Let's let's just get two free agents um, that are both eight times better than him and will be 16 times better. Oh, do you like math? So <laughs> I, do, uh, I do. I do. I do like well, that math. <laughs> and I think it gives something that Bill's Mafia has been asking for for a long time, which is the opportunity to not rely on Josh Allen's uh, legs in short yardage and goal line situations. Um, so keep him. And I know. We've talked about this before. Quarterbacks don't get injured running the football. They get injured in the pocket, just like he has in his in his career. Um, but I think that the less hits, the better always. Um, so that's okay. that's one ceiling raiser. And then I'll talk about one other, well, I guess two other ceiling raisers on the offensive side of the ball, and that is Dalton Kincaid and... The pressure that we are putting yeah. on this dude oh, through two pods I think is he, unbelievable. I think he deserves it. We'll get back to Dalton in, in my predictions, but um, I think that he deserves that pressure because of what we've seen through training camp, what all of the you know Buffalo beat media people have said about his consistency in practice, his understanding and mastery of the offense You know, pretty quickly for a rookie. Um, he's never going to be, you know, the... Uh, He's never going to be an Osiris Torrance meat cannon blocker, but he's been reasonable. He's been reasonable. Um, but his skill at the catch point, his ability to kind of run incredible routes and, and feel soft spots in the defense. I'm very, very excited. And so he's a ceiling raiser. And then the, the last one I'll talk about on offense is the sort of like the jumble of Connor McGovern, Osiris Torrance, David Edwards, Ryan Vandemark, Alec Anderson. There's a lot of really good things in those four players who are very who are very much younger 
than anybody that Bean has brought in the last few years to try to stabilize this line. And I really think, you know, I'm so worried about Spencer Brown. I think he might be terrible. He, I mean, he looks terrible. He looks, Even in the Chicago game, yeah, he looked he terrible. He looks bad. So I'm really worried about right tackle, but there's a lot. You, you can get by having one bad tackle if you have two really good guards, an excellent center, and a left tackle, right? Like, you can literally shift protection and keep Dawson Knox in on Ryan on Spencer Brown's side every play. And who knows, maybe Ryan Bates, you know, with Osiris Torrance taking his job at right guard, maybe Ryan Bates is our new right tackle. It goes poorly. I also saw that the Buffalo Bills were um, hosting Jermaine Effetti. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And he he's a, a tackle that I think he's a little bit, I'd say he's a little bit better than Brandon Shell in terms of his athleticism. And so that might be, that may be a massive upgrade. <laughs> Um, if they're able to sign him to a kind of a reasonable veteran minimum, minimum deal. And there's also the chance, you know, out there on the waiver wire, um, young talent or a veteran somewhere. So I, I'm not throwing the panic button on the offensive line, but right tackle is a problem. I think that they really did a great job of shoring up the interior, though, which was way more of a problem for Josh Allen last year. Yeah, I agree. It, Allen seems to manage pressure from the edge well, and we've talked about this for a couple of years now. If you want to get to some of these more mobile QBs, some of these guys that like to get out around the edge and run, it you got to put pressure up the middle. The Kyler Murrays, the Lamar Jacksons, the Josh Allens, um, anyone that that likes to to get out and run when need be, they usually like to take up in those big gaps up the middle. You can close out those gaps. You really do take away a lot of their leverage in the imp- improvis- improvisational run game. So yeah, I. It, for me, I um I paid particular attention here to a couple of areas. Running back was one of them, and I I love the way this room has shaken out. Um, wide receiver as well. Now Justin Shorter is likely to go on IR. Um, he's dealing with a hamstring issue. He makes the fifty-three man now, but will likely go on IR, which means that the Bills can then bring someone back off the waiver wire, and it's likely going to be camp favorite Andy Isabella at this point, which will be amazing for a lot of Bills Mafia that have rooted for Isabella all through camp to get his shot. Um, I paid particular attention to JJ to what the Bills were going to do in the backup QB market on offense, only because last year, it, last year was the first year really in our, our memory of Josh Allen being the dominant player that has become where he looked human, got hurt in week nine against the Jets, his UCL strain. We've talked about it ad nauseum. But I think for any team that loses their number one QB, the season is kind of hopeless. But the backup QB matters because you really want to have a guy in there who, if they need to for three or four weeks, can go out there and can basically pitch 500 ball. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Go two and two, go two and one, keep it close, keep the team in line until your QB one can get back. And Kyle Allen had not played particularly well in the preseason. To the point where a lot of Buffalo writers like Joe Biscalia, for example, who I respect and like from The Athletic, were positing that we were going to go out and get Kate, bring Case Keenum back into the fold. And my take, and the Bills, as I think a lot of people know, a lot of fans know, we were in on Trey Lance as well and that trade market for for him too. Thank God we didn't give up, give up anything more than a fourth for him. A total, I mean, total project, total yeah. project, oh, yeah. not, not anyone that's going to immediately help this team. But Case Keenum, I was like, really? This this is where we're going to go? Like, I was hoping the Bills would hang on to Kyle Allen. 
because I think his athletic profile, while no one is the alien that Josh Allen is, I thought his athletic profile fit more of the the scheme that Dorsey wanted to call than Keenum, who at this point in stage is basically going to take a four-step drop and throw it, yeah. right? So th- there's an element of predictability to a Case Keenum and a known quantity level to Case Keenum. I was like, why would we invest resources in trading for that guy out of Houston? I think he's still their third-string QB there, so... So, so I was happy to see Allen stay. And then same with you. I liked overall, and I'm hedging this by saying, I believe, and we'll take it to my grave, that the Bills needed to bring in someone that was legitimately going to challenge Spencer Brown, because I think they now are feeling the pressure to find a veteran off the waiver wire to bring in and challenge Spencer Brown. And I think they should have done it earlier. Mm-hmm. All that nonsense aside, I liked that they walked away from Questenberry. I like the fact that they walked away from Ike, Buck, Ike Butker, and I like the fact that they're giving some of these, in the case of Alec Anderson, I believe he was an undrafted free agent mm-hmm. who they kept on the practice squad last year, have developed, and now they've elevated to the 53-man roster. I like the in- inflection of youth. I like the fact that he's got position versatility. I've seen him in some mock depth charts is actually the primary backup to Mitch Morse because he can play a little bit of center and Ryan Rick Bates being the primary backup to Spencer Brown. So taking a shot and hitting on some of these younger guys, as we have talked about, is a floor raiser, and it allows a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more, more I think, depth variability as well, depending on who gets hurt and when. Because it's a long season, inevitably someone's going to get hurt. I think the ability for the Bills to plug and play with a little bit more versatility here is something that I'm really happy to see with Vandermark and, and Anderson as well. Um, other than that, there are really no surprises on the offensive, offensive 53-man for me. Um, I'm just glad the Bills finally decided to walk away from some of their free agent mistakes of the past. Um, switching it over to the defensive side of the ball, JJ, anything here surprise you to any great extent? Um, Not, I mean, I guess I, I we already talked about the Basham trick. That sort of surprised me because seemingly he was having a decent camp and it, it usually would mean that the, you know, Brandon B and Sean McDermott are going to let it ride with a draft pick of theirs, especially a high draft pick. Um, but they sent him away. So that was kind of a surprising thing. And, and especially they didn't get much for him, which is also surprising. Um, also very, I mean, like disappointing. Said, he'd had a, he'd had a good camp decent too. Camp, he was, yeah. He was looking pretty good, looking like maybe he was ready to be a serviceable, serviceable rotational guy. But yeah. Well, and I, I don't think he's a Wyatt Teller. Um, I think he's more a Zach Moss, but I worry, I worry a little bit because the cupboard's a little bit bare on the edge in uh, in New York. And so he might be the best defensive lineman they have. And that means that the occasional splash pay might or splash play might come his way and then everybody in Bill's Moth is going to blow their, you know, minds because they uh, think that Batchum's this undiscovered gem. I just want to know if Shane has like blackmail on some right. of these GMs because yeah. he traded for Isaiah Simmons, yeah. I believe, for a seventh round pick. Yeah, that was a that's a former first round top 10. I think he went yep. number eight overall that year to Arizona yeah. for a seventh round pick. And he gets Boogie Basham, who, like we said, was having a good camp. For a slight increase a, in draft yeah. position, not even actually giving anything away. Or a slight right, increase, not, yeah. Right. I mean, basically swap of late round picks. Like, like is Shane trailing all these guys? Like, did him and Dan <laughs> Snyder get together and, like, 
does he have Dan Snyder's PI? Right. Is that what it is? Right. And he's got all this alleged dirt, this dirt on him. I just, I can't, the, the deals that he's pulling are insane. I mean, good for Shane. Good. Sorry for, sorry for the illusion to oh, Daniel no. Snyder. Too no, soon. It's, it's Too okay. soon. Yeah, no, it's, that guy's a, that guy's a tool. <laughs> guy's horrible. Yeah. How, thank God how, he's gone. Yeah. Thank God that such a terrible person had, had the comeuppance of only selling his team for like a $200 billion profit. The, the, I know, that's the thing. Like, that's, that's the, the thing. Sh- like, that's he, the shittiest thing It doesn't thing matter, right? It doesn't matter. Right. Nothing right. he does he, matters. He entered a billionaire. He'll leave even more of a billionaire. An, an extra, for extra billionaire, yeah. Right, for incompetently, unethically, and illegally, yes. to some extent, running yes. his team into the ground, right? He'll leave with even more money. But good for Josh Harris, who has the easiest job in the NFL this year as the new owner of oh, the yeah. Commanders. He just has to not be Dan Snyder yeah. and people oh, will yeah. like him. For the rest of his time in the league, no matter how long he owns the team, all he has to do is not be a philandering just, crook. Like, right, and he'll be like a be great, well-respected person. So, right. um, get it back, Anyways, get ba- it back to the roster. Ba- so, back to our wheelhouse, yes, the Buffalo Bills. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, I mean, no real big surprises. I think that, you know... Um, Everything sort of shook out the way you expected it to be. I think everyone expected Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Taylor Rapp, Demar Hamlin. Cam Lewis was kind of a, you know, maybe maybe in, maybe out, but they've really liked him, and he can pinch hit in the nickel at, at times. Um, and then, you know, middle linebacker, I was hoping that, you know, they would somehow be like, oh, by the way, this person made our roster. This person you'd never heard of who's a capable starting middle linebacker, which we still don't have one of. Um, but I wonder about Christian Kirksey, who has been released by the Texans, I think, um, and is a friend of Josh Allen's. By so that well, that could be a player. Keep an eye on. Started the past two seasons, and last year was the tackle leader for the the Texans. So um, could be a capable middle linebacker. But um, but yeah, I mean, nothing too surprising. And, and in terms of like my projection for the season. The things that excite me about the roster is I do think that Greg Rousseau looks a lot better, but I think he still requires Von Miller across from him in order to like really make hay. Uh, And so we'll see how that goes. Leonard Floyd is definitely better than AJ Epineza, but still not to Von Miller, of course, level. So wonder how that goes. Kingsley Jonathan making the the 53 was kind of surprising to me, Um, but he's by all accounts has had a good camp. And then, you know, the, another player that I think is going to raise the floor, but not maybe necessarily the ceiling, is Puna Ford mm-hmm. at, at DT. I, I really like that signing, you know, picking him up after Seattle, let him go. Um, he's a, He is a, a literal bowling ball, not with knives, but just a bowling ball in general. A human version yes. of a bowling ball, yes. And that's, that's I think that's an addition. So not too much. Uh, how about you? No, yeah, I, um, you know, the only place in my preseason projection where I, I turned out to be wrong was at the defensive tackle, was a defensive tackle because I did not have Jordan Phillips making the squad. And then it was edge. I didn't have Shaq Lawson on the squad. I had Boogie Basham and Kingsley Jonathan, actually. Um, but I didn't have Shaq Lawson making the squad. So, but the Bills value those two guys. They value their veteran leadership. They value the leadership that they bring to the clubhouse and all that kind of stuff. And they've been productive players in this scheme, very productive players for the Bills. So so I think especially, I, I think Lawson is probably, depending on, on how productivity across the season shakes out, 
think Lawson is probably first man out when Von yeah. Miller comes off the pup list. But so. for the for the time being, I've got no no real issues with it. And like we said, this is a this is an old defense, and I think it's worth repeating at this particular point. For a lot of these guys, it's going to be their their last dance with this team. Um, you wonder how much we have said Poyer and Hyde have left in the tank. Trey White getting up there. Dane Jackson going to be closer to 30 than he is to 25 at this point. Um, it Daquan Jones is going to be 33, 34 in season. Von Miller we've talked about. Like it, Jordan Phillips, Shaq Lawson, both aging veterans. And this is also, to a large extent, unlike the offense, offensive line, in the tight end room, in the, in the wide receiver room, which underperformed last year and as a result got big makeovers via the draft and via free agency, this is basically the same defense that got absolutely shelled by Cincinnati yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah. It, it's almost man for man the same defense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, I've got concerns about that. that. Wor- yeah, That worries me. I think that they, they the Bills may they the bills being sean mcdermott may have the belief that scheme is going to fix that right like being more aggressive taking shots you know with blitzes at different times the old sugar the a gap that i loved when sean mcdermott first started coaching here that leslie frazier did not seem to like as much um stuff like that i think we're going to see especially if they they don't have a Tremaine Edmonds, leave him in the middle of the field as a chess piece player. Yeah. And so they may need to be sending heat with their linebackers and have more exotic linebacker schemes and uh, just to get production out of that position. And so I think that that's the thought is, you know, we had a, again, like you said, top three finish in terms of overall defense, terrible showing in the playoffs, but how much of that was emotion? This team went through the real ringer last year. And sort of just ran out of gas, it seems. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how things go. And but you're right. I mean, it's an old defense. It's an old defense that has underperformed multiple years in big moments. And um, that will be the ultimate test for Sean McDermott is if he's going to be the play caller. Uh, then you know, show us what you got. Can you make this unit perform big in big moments? That's the variable because all of these pieces outside of Edmonds are basically the same this year. So that's the variable. It was is scheme and or was scheme the issue? Is it talent? Is it a mix of both? This year we're going to isolate that variable and we're going to find out what it is. And then next year we've got to turn it all over because yep. not a lot of these guys will be coming back on veteran contracts next year. So well, so interesting overall. Yeah. And and I'll say, I mean, this was a conversation for like February, March, but um. Uh, if they can do the same kind of makeover on the defensive line, linebackers, safeties, that they did this next offseason in 24, that they did to the offensive line, wide receivers, and tight end, like you mentioned, I, I think that they can kind of keep rolling because those units look way different and much better. You, you know what they need to do in order to make that happen? Hit on some first, second, yes. and third round draft Especially picks. second That's- and third. Seriously, that's what they need to do. And Bean, to his credit, got a boatload of draft capital in this year's draft at yep. the end of last year's draft. Um, I think we're walking in with like 10 picks, 10 or 11 it's a lot. picks yeah. it, in a draft that is going to be demonstrably deeper than the draft class we just saw come up. So it, I said this hoping. I said this around the draft draft time. 
They know their weaknesses in the second and third round. Just use late round extra picks and their second and third rounders and trade to get seven picks between rounds four and six. Seriously. They'll hit on all of them. I mean, they will. They will at 100% rate, 100% success rate. Again and again, they can get meaningful and upper echelon starters in the fourth and fifth round. Amazing. Just do that. Amazing. All right. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, let's see. Do we want to talk about the rest of the AFC East and kind of, here's what I'm thinking real quick. All right. Because we've already been talking for close to an hour and we want to get to some predictions sure to go wrong because we both hate predictions, but we do a podcast, so we need to make them we right. We love making them. We hate Here's what I hate that they we exist. Do. We love making them. Though. We do. Exactly. Exactly. We hate them, but we love them. We right. Love them. Yeah. Um, so here, here's what I want to pitch to you. All right. Let's do rankings one through four of where we think each of these teams will finish in terms of overall defense overall mm-hmm. offense okay mm-hmm. then we can predict who we think is going to win the division and then that'll launch us into the rest of our prediction sure to go wrong for the season okay. how do you feel about that yeah okay. i like it yeah all right so all right let's start with defensive unit units first now on paper all four of these teams look pretty loaded okay mm-hmm. i'm going to give you in in ascending order four being the worst one being the best I'm going to go four through one Mm -hmm. and tell you where I think these defensive units in the division are going to sit. I've got the bills at number four. Oh, and it's solely because of the age factor. Okay. Okay. I've got the dolphins at number three Mm. because I think they're talented, but I think it's going to take them a few games to pick up on Vic Fangio's scheme. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the statistics and the splits from back when it was a 16 game sample, First eight games versus last eight games for the first year of a team in Fangio's system, the first eight are always a rocky start, and they become really proficient in the latter half of the season. I think that, given the level of difficulty of some of Miami's schedule, I think by the time things shake out, this is still probably going to be a top 10 unit overall, but I would put them at third most proficient here in the division. Number two, I'm going to go with the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. I think they've got a mighty pass rush. I think that secondary is always well coached. And with Christian Gonzalez, they have a ceiling raiser that they can now put on the outside next to the brothers, not related Jones that they're going to be rolling out there as well on the secondary. I think they're going to, I think what they've done at the safety position as well um, with Duggar, who we, we We laud, right. And then the drafting of Keon White, and uh Tupe, Marte Tupe. Marte Tupe, that, yeah, the linebacker. Yeah. yeah. They just have a bunch of tweeners mm-hmm. where it's going to be the amoeba defense of all time. And other than Matt Judon and Christian Barmore, you're really not going to know where the pressure is coming from. You're not going to know who's going to be dropping, who's going to be rushing. I think they're going to, I don't know that they make the playoffs, and we'll talk about this when we get to offense and overall, mm-hmm. but I think the games they win are going to be like 17-14. Yeah. Like this is a team that's probably going to win pretty ugly this year, right? For sure. So, and then number one, I've got the Jets defense, though I think that is a team with considerable flaws. I think Sauce Gardner, while good, is tremendously overrated. And if if any referee worth their salt decides to call a pass interference pass on interference. sauce it'll be the first time yeah oh like yeah. that that dude just gra- i see all these highlight videos of how great of a shutdown corner sauce gardener is and all i see him is grabbing guys jerseys and pants that's all i see right yep. i'm not saying the dude doesn't have talent 
But I'm saying for the love of God, like mm-hmm. if I could grab guys like that, I could be a shutdown corner too. Right. That's but bold. But he I, listen, man. listen. All right. Listen. I mean, and if I lost 180 pounds and if I could run a four, three. All right. And <laughs> if I was of, four inches taller, a couple of variables. Right. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> there's a, a, other variables. Right. And if, if I just worked on my hand strengths, yes. right. Yes. There's all a lot stuff. of things. Same. We all have, um, we all have flaws. We all have things. We, we all have flaws. We all have flaws. You too could be an elite athlete if you dropped 200. Oh pounds. yeah, I could. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, I would only be 80 pounds at that point if I lost 200 pounds. That's, that'd be no, a, that's be light. A third grade that's child. light. Yeah. I'd be a third grader anyway. Um, but the secondary is good. I'm worried about that defense up the middle though. Mm. And when you, I think if, if there is a reason they won't finish number one, it's going to be because teams are going to exploit them up the middle. Tua likes to play the middle of the field. He really like exclusively likes to play the middle of the field. We know the bills are trying to get the middle of the field back as well. New England has a bunch of guys that can run fast on the outside, but no one that can really catch a pass on the outside. So is a byproduct of having Gasecki and Hunter Henry probably as their primary weapons and Juju Smith Schuster, who is a big middle of the field target eater. They're going to go after the middle of the field too. I think the Jets defensive line depth is absolutely insane. I think yeah. that group can oh, go seven God. or eight deep It's it, and not lose yeah. any eff- efficacy. As a result of that, they've got studs on the defensive line. I think that's going to be the great equalizer. All of these defenses have weaknesses, but I think the Jets, to me, ri- rise to the top because of the depth on the outside with Sauce and Reader. Um, and despite the weaknesses up the middle, I think that defensive line is going to cover is going to be the deodorant on a lot of a lot of that. Oh yeah, yeah. So, what do you think, JJ? So I would agree with your ratings with a couple of exceptions. I would actually bring the bills up and put the Patriots down a little bit. I think interesting. I think it's if if I go in uh, descending order, ascending order. First, I think is Jets. Second, Bills. Mm -hmm. Third, Patriots, and fourth, Dolphins. I think the Bills are ahead of the Patriots, and I think it's probably. And here's the reason. This is going to be weird. This is going to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. That's the whole podcast. We don't know what we're talking about. That is the purpose of the podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think that the Patriots' inefficiency on offense hurts their defense. I think that their offensive woes are going to put their defense in some really tough spots Mm, that even the talent, and and I agree with you on a lot of that, I think the Patriots are going to play the first ever defense that we've seen in the NFL with seven safeties on the field at one time. But we'll, you know, seven safety slash linebackers who are positionless players. Like that might happen. Right. Slash water yes. boys. Like yeah. they just, yeah, who knows, right? They're going to the have the from. first human cyborg, you know, safety play on the field. But they, <laughs> um, so, so, but that, that being said, I think that because they don't have, because they're an unbalanced team. I think they're going to struggle a little bit and that's going to mm-hmm. put their defense in tough spots. So that's why I'd flip the bills up a little bit higher. I agree with you. I think the dolphins, everyone's like looking at the situation. They're like, Oh, Vic Fangio is going to fix everything that. Happened. And I think he, he can fix a lot of things. He's an excellent D- DC, but it takes time and it takes time when he doesn't have the thing. I think that the, the problem with the dolphins defense has been in the past is that when I think about that defense, I cannot identify any player that's like a Micah Hyde, a Jordan Poyer, um, for the Bills, you know, 
Termaine Edmonds, like somebody who like really knows the whole thing in and out and gets everyone in the right position because the games we've seen, the Dolphins, who's the captain, yeah, on that who's, defense. who's the one running the ship that's not, you know, that's on the field, who's the green dot, yeah, who's the green dot, who's the green dot, and I'm sure they have someone who's going to call plays, but is that person capable of fixing and covering up when players are not performing or executing? Because the the things we've seen is when the Dolphins defense starts to get beaten, if they're not playing ahead or they're not beating up on the other team, that they fall apart in terms of their unit, right? Like, and a lot of those players are the same. There's finger pointing. They like clearly look like they are not disciplined and maybe Fangio can fix some of that. But I also think in a new scheme that those personalities might erupt, that might be a little bit more, uh, more of a problem. Yeah, I, I I agree. Neither of us are really high on the Dol- as high as national media is on Dolphins defense. We could very well be wrong. Yeah. Fangio is a great coordinator, but also it's a complex scheme. And it's listen, it's a scheme that just got roasted by Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Yes. So that yeah. the Bills have seen the Fangio defense or a version of it in practice for the last four years with Leslie Frazier, and they've seen it. Every time they play an opposing defense with a too high coverage, I mean, it, too high zone, that, that's what Fangio is going to roll out. I get there's going to be some wrinkles and all that other kind of stuff. I'm not trying to undersell the complexity of this defense, but it takes a while to catch on. And I think teams, teams have been spending the last two and a half seasons figuring out how to adapt to this particular brand of defense. And I think we're going to see some adjustments baked in to counteract this defense. So, yeah. yeah so I'd, I'd flip it around. I'd actually bring the bills up and, and be why the bills so high. So I'm just curious, yeah. right? Like, so I, I think that the, we'll, yeah, I have an answer. Go ahead. This. I yeah. think that we both are worried about the middle linebacker position, but I actually think they're going to play more cover three and bring one of their safeties down and have their corners play, especially if it's Benford or Dane Jackson and Trey. They're going to have corners play deep third mm-hmm. and cover the the sidelines and have a single high safety and then bring a safety down in the box to help with that middle linebacker weakness. And I do think that that is a better defense against the Dolphins. Oh, I'll see twice. Say, that's, that yeah. is a better defense against the Jets with Aaron Rodgers. Um, it's, I don't know how much of a better defense it is against the Patriots. I think the Patriots will have an offensive scheme that could attack that. A little better than the other. They're going to run the ball. Yeah, exactly. Them. They have a better defensive attack. Um, and so the Bills defensive line will really have to step up. But the pass first offense of the Jets and Dolphins could see could struggle a little bit more with a three, you know, three high shell. So mm-hmm. uh, that I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking about the Bills defense is that I think it's in the same way that NGO's defense has disadvantages by the complexity and difficulty um, early on. The Bills defense has advantages by the lack of understanding and knowledge of current OCs playing against a Sean McDermott call play, right? Like they've seen, they know how to beat, or they don't because they didn't, right? Like the Bills won 13 games last year. Like they, they did not overcome Leslie Frazier's defensive calls. Um, and so that's still there. But I, there are other wrinkles and things like that that I think Sean McDermott will bring to the fold. And like we said, this is the same defense. They know the defense that he and Leslie Frazier built. Whatever wrinkles they have, that's the twist. And that's probably, they're probably quicker to get to there than Fangio's D. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I worry about a couple of things. I worry about the 
relative age and key positions. Injuries. Um, and, I mean, listen, Von Miller missed five games last year and still ended the season tied for team lead in sacks with eight. So unless Rousseau, which by all accounts, scouts around the league, if you're if you're reading a lot of national headlines, they think Rousseau is ready to take the next step and ready to hit double-jit sacks this year. But if Rousseau doesn't, and they don't get a lot out of Floyd, this is all hinging, the pass rush efficacy is all hinging on 34-year-old Von Miller coming when back from a torn ACL in week six, yeah. right? So I, I have real questions about this pass rush. Now, here's the good news, and this is a great transition, I think, to talk about the offensive side of the ball. None of the teams the Bills will be playing in division have a good offensive line. Yeah, right? I know. Like, no, like, we said it last year, and I think it still holds true. I don't know four offensive, four offensive units in the same division that are rolling out worse offensive lines than these four teams are. I mean, the so let, let, let's get to our rankings because we're going to shred all of these offensive lines, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I, I went first with D. Do you want to go first with offense? Sure, yeah. So in terms of, offen- of offensive efficacy, I think it's going to roll out um, from, last, from last place in the division to first. Uh, the Patriots have already mentioned bottom. Bottom, I mean... The fact that they cut Bailey Zappi was probably cutting their best quarterback. Mac Jones is a fool. Um, they emptied yeah. their QB yeah, room for Mac Jones. Know, they're like, crazy. Mac, you're you're it. You're our milk toast loser. Um, so Mac Jones and the the Patriots last. Uh, and then I actually think it's going to be the Dolphins because Ooh, spice. I know. Well, because I think that they they did not invest in offensive line depth or quality. And Tua is literally made of paper mache. It's and that's not to like say he's not a strong, capable individual. It's to say he had two concussions and probably three concussions over the course of the season. And they get more frequent and more terrible the more you have them. So I'm really worried about his overall health forever. Right. Um, and so I think that definitely, you know, I can see him missing three or four or five games half a season. And that could be a real problem uh, for the Dolphins because I, I don't think they have the capable backups to run that offense. Um, and so I think Tua and the Dolphins in third, and then the Jets in second place in overall offensive efficacy and, and performance. And again, like Aaron Rodgers, new to the new to the team, they have some some superstar talent, but I think that their offense looked much different and much weaker. Um, and it wasn't just that they didn't have a capable passer once Brees Hall was out of the fold and he's coming back from a severe knee injury. And so his ability to kind of take off, we saw it with Trey White. I mean, he didn't come back till a full year after his injury and didn't look the, you know, the same. Um, now, thankfully, is looking more the, more of the part like old Trey. But those positions that require like very sharp cuts and burst, um, the knee injury is, is not great. Um, coming back from that from the ACL, so we'll see. I think that there's also some growing pains that the the Jets are going to see with uh, with Aaron Rodgers um, and getting used to the offense. But you know, I think there's going to be second best in the league, and then first the Buffalo Bills. I think that they have the capacity to be the best offense again. Rookie of the year, Dalton Kincaid. Rookie I know of the year, you're going. Yeah, I mean, we'll get. The, I, I mentioned I've, I've teased twice now that we'll get there with my predictions, but I got a prediction about Dalton. Nice, very cool. All right. So here's my list. I'll start with number one because the same as your number one. I do think the Bills will have the best offense in the division. I don't think it's going to be easy, 
but I think it's going to look a lot easier than it did last year. That's no shade against the defenses they're going to be going up against in the division. And it's a brutal schedule for them to be playing as well this season. Um, If they don't get get out to a hot start, things could get dicey real quick. But I love what they did with the wide receiver room. They're protecting, for the most part, Josh Allen in all the right places as far as Mm -hmm. the interior of the offensive line. This all hinges on Dawkins going back to like average play as opposed to what he was at last year. And I assume that Ryan Bates will be starting for Spencer Brown by week two yeah. after they see how atrocious he is defending defending against the New York Jets pass rush. But I think overall the Bills have the pieces in place with the added wrinkle of Dalton Kincaid and the hopeful emergence of James Cook to bring some balance but also I think a little bit of counterpunch ability in the check down game and in the run game to that team as well. Mm-hmm. And hopefully some big playability too, right? Um, all of those things, I think the Bills are going to be sitting at number one. Number two, the New England Patriots. Oh, <laughs> that is so spicy. What are you doing? <laughs> so, Tell me, make it make sense. So, well, you, you've already kind well, of Corkle. like... You, so you've already kind of talked about it. Like all of these defenses are going to be gaming to stop the pass. And the way that Belichick has built this offense with Henry Gusecki and Juju Smith-Schuster, essentially Gusecki is a wide receiver, Smith-Schuster more like a tight end. He's got these variables and this ability to go multiple and under the, in this Callahan offense on a variety of different occasions. And when you look at the formations that they have rolled out in the preseason, not the actual personnel in the formations, but the formations themselves, they they are playing a lot more three wide receiver sets, which is right in Mac Jones' comfort zone. Mm-hmm. We know that that team is going to be able to run the ball as well. Do I think they're going to hang 30 on everybody a game? No, I don't think that is going to be the case. But I think this offense is going to be surprising at its level of success and efficiency. Okay. And I think I think they're I think they're gonna do better than a lot of people think. Number three. No, hang on. Can I just say yeah, one thing about the Patriots yeah. offense? They they are bringing they put six six offensive tackles on their 53 man roster. Six of the spots on their 53 man roster are just for the tackle position on offense. Correct. So like because that offensive line is yeah, bad. <laughs> it's bad. But what I'm saying, though, is like, clearly, I'm agreeing with you. I think I'm not agreeing with you. I think they'll be good. I think it'll be terrible. I'm agreeing <laughs> with you that they're going to try to run the ball quite a lot. And I'm they're going to face a lot. Yeah. Of, they're going to face cover three from the Bills. They're going to face two high shell, which is a, from Miami, which is a, a scheme that is begging to be run against. And I don't give a shit what people say about Sauce Gardner. He's still has a lot of room to grow. And run defense. Well, Same thing with DJ Reader. I think, I, these are teams yeah, vulnerable to right. a Belichick scheme. I'm just so, saying. But I, that's fine. But what 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 does it matter when you only have four possessions because you take nine minutes off the clock every time you have the ball and you <laughs> lose twenty one to fourteen? <laughs> Listen, I'm willing to make the suburban okay. bet with you. I'm right. willing to oh make my. the suburban bet. Okay. We we can do it. We can do it by DVOA okay. if you want to. Yeah. Because that seems to be a pretty objective measure, that, right? That, like, let's. I'm going to type that in my notes. There's a suburban bet. Listen, so M- I, McCorkle's I, first season. This was a this was a top nine yeah, unit in offensive true. DVOA, right? I'm, so I'm just saying. Uh, no, I think 
I like just saying, it. No, I, think, this is good I think Callahan's a floor raiser. I think unlike last season, there is some intentionality to the way this offense has been built. And I think Callahan being able to write the Matt Patricia ship, I don't think we understand or ever will how bad the Matt Patricia experiment was. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, I do. No, I agree with that. I mean, it, it was terrible. And I don't think, I, I, I don't think the Patriots will have a hard time scaling that low bar. But I also think people will be shocked at the, at how the quality of coaching can also raise the ceiling on that particular unit. If that unit is just average, if they finish top 12 or top 15 DVOA, that that's going to be a team. That's going to be a team that's probably contending for the playoffs with that defense. Yeah. Okay. Hey, no, I mean, this is a fun bourbon bourbon. The way I wrote it is that you're, you're writing that in the AFC East alone, the Patriots are going to be number two overall in offensive DVOA. Or so, so relative in the division, yes. right? So if like, yeah. so if like the bills are two, third in the league, yeah, right. Yeah. But the Patriots, the Patriots are 15th, yeah. but everybody is below them. Yes. They're still second. That's, exactly. That's exactly uh, the way I understand it as well. Yep. I'm yep. betting that the Patriots are going to be fourth in the AFC East relative to yeah. everybody. Um, yep. And both of uh, either of those conditions hit the, the person who bet them gets the bourbon. But yep. if they're third in the AFC East or first, we don't, it's a push. Exactly. Okay. If they're first. What the, what who the wins? Hell? Who wins? What the hell? Of us. No one wins. Yeah. It's hell on earth if they're first. That's yeah. Great. Okay. Third, I've got the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Um, the offensive line is absolutely atrocious. And Miami approached this offseason, I think, with a certain level of arrogance that we are not acknowledging. In season, it wasn't just the defensive side of the ball that didn't make any adjustments in the face of injury. It was the offensive side of the ball as well. And we all love McDaniel. We think he's like the coolest freaking dude to put on a headset as a head coach in a very long time in the NFL. Dude is just personality-wise a breath of fresh air. But he was a first-year play caller, and we don't know what his what his baseline for adjustment is going to be. We didn't see any meaningful adjustments in season. And everything about these roster moves from the lack of investment in the offensive line, I think I saw in their 53 man, they're carrying five running backs at this point. Like, and they might be in yes. for Jonathan Taylor as well. Yeah. Like this is a team who's like, we're just going to be faster than you. And I think the counter to that we've already seen from the chargers and the 49ers is we're going to be more physical and stronger than you. And until I see McDaniel able to do that, and that offensive line be able to keep Tua upright for 17 games in a season, I, I, I have questions about the Miami offense. And the depth at wide receiver is problematic too. Yeah. Jalen Waddle's a dude who has been hurt before and doesn't deal with press man well. They've got Tyree Kill, but then it's Christian Berrios as their number three. Braxton. I, um, I, Braxton, sorry, yeah. yeah. What I said Christian, yeah, Braxton. So it, this is a team that has depth issues in the wide receiver room. Injury issues in the QB room, talent issues on the offensive line, and the only meaningful did thing they did in the offseason was they got faster in the running back room. Like I well, and like they have, at some point you just can't outrun everybody. They have five running backs and a fullback. So the running back room is six individuals. Like, what are they gonna do? Like, what are they gonna do with all that? You know well, what I mean? So, and then and then what, you know, I think that this brings into question like why we talked about them being, you know, possibly bottom of the barrel in defense. Is that with three t 
three quarterbacks on their 53-man roster, five running backs and a fullback, they're like they're stealing from somewhere, and that somewhere is their defense. And yeah, you know, I think it's they only have two tight ends, and they're Durham Smythe and Julian Hill, whoever that is. So I mean, and and again, that was a notable notable flaw with this team last year, and they shrugged their shoulders, did nothing, right, did nothing to address it. So unless they're going to run five running backs out there that can catch the football on a regular basis in the passing game, I I don't know. I I think we're I think the goodwill McDaniel's built up is earned, but if you put Belichick on this team as the head coach, and it was Belichick after a season where their QB didn't get three, where their QB got three concussions, and they didn't improve the offensive line, and they didn't improve the wide receiver depth after Tyreek Hill had those hamstring issues at the end of the season, you would call him arrogant too. I think McDaniel is playing on some well-earned goodwill. But I think it was any other coach that and GM that approached their offensive unit with that type of of complacency. I think we'd have stronger questions, you know. So yeah, and in no time at all, you know, Mike McDaniel is going to be back to selling Pokemon cards out of his parents' basement. So I, mean, I love this dude. Like, if Dorsey doesn't work out, can he please yeah, come as our offensive coordinator? I, I, I could love see that dude. being cool. Yeah, no, I, I watch I, them I, be good. The, this is, him this is why we're, yeah. it's frustrating that I think he's younger than us and is he like is. at that level. That's some and smarter and yes. more likable yeah. and more successful and, and weirder and and weirder, but in a cool way. Yeah, yeah f that guy. He's I awesome. Know. God, that magnificent bastard. I hate him. He's so beautiful. (laughs) Right. And then, and then fourth, I got the jets. That's a bad offensive line. Um, again, where's the wide receiver depth on, on that squad? They've got Garrett Wilson and no one else. Um, Aaron Rodgers still thinks he's Aaron Rodgers of 2009, where he can sit back in the pocket and chuck it deep to Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb or somebody, and those guys just don't exist. Yep. And that offensive line is not going to buy him that kind of time. And I question Hackett as a coordinator mm-hmm. and a coach. Yeah. And I also just don't think Sala is the guy that's going to gel and solidify a lot of these new faces in the coaching room and on the roster as well. I think Sala's probably on the hot seat this year for, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. I think this Jess offense is going to be slow to get going. God, watch them smoke the Bills yeah. in week one. No, oh, God, but I'm the, worried about that. But I think, this, I think this offense is going to be slow to get going, and I think it's going to have some really tough starts and stops because the identity of the offense is whatever whatever Aaron Rodgers thinks he can do, and Aaron Rodgers still thinks he can chuck it deep downfield at 39 years old and hold on to the ball for three and a half seconds, and he just can't do it anymore. Well, in, in OTAs and training, I mean, he was he sat out like multiple OTA and training camp practices for random like maladies that happen to any 39-year-old, right? Like tweaked ankle, twisted knee, ouch. Slept funny on my arm. Good. Yeah, <laughs> my back's a little weird today. Like, So those are things to worry about that I, I think that if you're the Dolphins or the Jets, you're probably a little bit concerned at least about those things. And I agree that the offensive line is kind of terrible and the uh, wide receiver room is Garrett Wilson and then all of the, you know, Packers retreads. And then, right. yeah, and then to your point, Sean Payton called, like, what, uh, Nathaniel Hackett? Like, Nathaniel worst coaching Hackett's, job he's yeah, ever seen. The job he yeah. did in, in Denver as the worst coach, coaching job he's ever seen in the National Football League. And this is the guy you're entrusting your incredibly expensive incredibly old you know quarterback too um yeah so uh, yeah i'm i'm wondering about that too i'm glad the bills have them early 
um, you know, first game is a good time mm-hmm. to have a team that's got a new quarterback, new scheme, you know, so we'll see. But I, I do think they have some talent and I'm not going to disagree with you in putting them in fourth place in the offense. I just, I mean, two times or three, how many times has Aaron Rodgers been MVP? Dude, three times. Three he times? won two back to back. Yeah. Yeah. And won another one earlier in he, his career, I want to say. He, yeah, I think you're right. He, finds a way to win and he had almost no receiving talent his entire career so give True. that guy garrett wilson and maybe maybe that's the the key that unlocks another mvp for him maybe. but we'll see yeah so maybe i don't want to we'll write see. him off that's why i had him much higher um but uh but yeah i mean i think that both of our realities could exist we could split the dimensions and both get these things right we could it, it's the season of mccorkle that's what it's going to be. <laughs> that's I love that you had them so high. All right, it's amazing. That's amazing. It's amazing. It really is, right? So, do you want to? I should some... never do these drunk. Yeah, let's go <laughs> no, ahead and let's do predictions. Some predictions. All right, dude, it's midweek. Come on, listen. It's it's Tuesday. <laughs> week. All right, yeah. all right. So i'll I'll go first, and I'll hit I'll hit the the uh, the Kincaid one because I've been talking about it all, all pod. Just do it. Um, Dalton Kincaid breaks all Buffalo tight end rookie records and before you know the record stops like scratch um it's really not that hard people it's incredibly easy uh do you want to guess what any of these numbers are i don't know okay. i just want you to roll with it all yeah. right so do you, the the okay how about this you're a bills <laughs> fan of some some tenure uh um, correct can you name who you believe the buffalo bills all-time rookie tight end in terms of record um, you know, receiving stats for their for their rookie mm. year is um it's not it's not Knox. That would be no. too easy. Is it Remersma? No, that's a great that's a great guess because I think Remersma is probably the best Buffalo Bills tight end. Probably. Me? Probably. Yeah. yeah. Remersma. So no, it's not Jay Remersma. He's I think he's like fourth or fifth. Um it's Ernie Warlick. Ernie Warlick. What? In 1962, look at that, is the best Buffalo Bills tight end in terms of rookie stats, rookie year stats. So his first year was 1962. I think he only played four years, um, but he received like 600 yards yeah. and four four touchdowns. Dude, not even. 35 receptions. 35. That's the most receptions by a rookie tight end ever in Bills history. 35 receptions for 482 yards and two touchdowns. Dude. That's it. Yes, Kincaid. That's Kincaid the bar. is gonna. Kincaid is gonna cross that bar. I think pretty easily. I mean, I think I don't think it's complete. I know everyone's like, oh, you know, rookie tight ends never have a huge blow up. Like it's always a hard, slow developing. Blah, 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 blah. He's not a tight. He's but, not a tight end though. Yeah, but this and on he's top of that, he's, he's a, a slot. slot. He's a he's a thick slot. Uh, and so and and on top of that, this bar is so low. Like I think it's not unreasonable to think that Dalton Kincaid could have thirty eight. 40 receptions for like 520 yards and three TDs. Oh my God. He's got it. He's done them all. He's swept the record book. Like that's real. so sad, but I think it's possible. And that's my, that's my first prediction. Sure to go wrong. Um, Dawson Knox is actually second in tight end rookie seasons with 28, 388 and two TDs. The two nice. TDs is, is crazy to me. Like, I feel like that's almost, I should put money on that, that Dalton Kincaid will have greater than or equal to three touchdowns this year. Nice. You actually should. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a pretty good futures bet. You could probably get some decent odds on for sure. Sure. There can I can I just say 
through the course of this podcast, there are there have been two phrases that you have used that I think we should consider consider putting towards a rebrand of this pod. Oh no. Sugar the egg app, which is an amazing yes. pod name. Yeah, it is. It really and is. thick slot. Fix. <laughs> See, if we rename the pod <laughs> either of those, we're gonna get a clientele coming to the door that we do not want. We it is all about raw different. listenership yeah, when you're starting out, JJ. Yeah, I get and it. I would also yeah. like just be in heaven to hear you say, Welcome to Thick Spot <laughs> on this <laughs> week's pod. On this week's pod, we sugar your egg app. <laughs> All right, Jesus Christ. All right, what's it must be late. All right. So here here is um here's my prediction. Ed Oliver will lead the team in sacks. No, I'm just kidding. That was my prediction last year. Yeah. yeah. And and that went wrong. That went so wrong. Um, I'm actually gonna play it relatively safe this year. I think, and this is more of a hopeful projection. Greg Rousseau, ten and a half sacks this season. Oh my god. Um, Man, I wish you could see my screen. My number one prediction is Greg Rousseau individual sacks ten or more. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I would put the over under at ten and a half, and I would be tempted to take the over, not just because people that know more about the game think that he, his game has progressed to this level and that he should rise to that, but man, we really need him to. If we can get ten and a half out of him, Leonard Floyd, who I think has accumulated thirty plus sacks over his past three seasons. And you get some semblance of an effective Von Miller back. If you're talking that three-headed kind of Hydra mm-hmm. ends up netting you 31, 32 sacks, that's a great baseline to start yeah. your season on. And then anything else that Oliver from the interior or Epineza can bring in rotational snaps or Kingsley can bring, it's just gravy if you can get those three guys cooking. But to me, it's got to start with Rousseau. Yeah. Rousseau and Floyd really need to hold it down till Miller gets back. And Rousseau, because of the the pressure of being a number one draft pick and really needing to ascend at this point at, I want to see him do it. So I've got Greg Rousseau over 10 and a half sacks this season. I like it. Um, All right. For my next one, Gabe Davis leads the team in reception TDs. Interesting. At the end, very doable, very doable too, I think. Yeah. And I I think that's kind of a, that's a, that's a saucy one because I know it, probably going to be Stefan Diggs. It was last year, but um, Gabe Davis just has a knack for finding the end zone. Even if he's not anywhere near Stefan Diggs yardage, I think he leads the team in reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, that it, prices him out of free agent market. The bills could afford. Exactly. Big play Gabe, right? I mean, he's, he's still a deep threat. Like if you, you want Gabe in fantasy, you got to like, plan on the three game stretch where he's going to go three 30 and no TDs yep. only to get that boomer bust game where he goes 29 two, point game, like three for one twenty nine and nope. two TDs, exactly. you know, exactly. I could see that happening because to be the leader in team TD receptions, that would say that his game has gotten at least more consistent. Mm-hmm. So the Buffalo bills need that to happen to take some pressure off of digs for sure. I think it's a bold one too, because not that I think Kincaid is going to take, not that I think Kincaid is going to lead the team in TD receptions, but I think between Kincaid, Hardy, and Sher- and Hardy and Sherfield, there are just more guys that are going to split snap share and split target share with Davis yep. as opposed to Diggs. Sure. D- Diggs would still be my leader in the clubhouse, but 
if Davis is, is indeed leading in that statistical category, it's a good season for the Bills, I think, for a lot of different so. reasons. Yeah. What's your next? All right. James Cook over under 11 and a half total TDs, and I'm taking the over. Over. Okay. So, and again, I think they're going to need it, not just for balance, not just for better efficacy in the red zone to let Cook break a 15-yard run every now and then. They're going to need Cook in the pass game as well. Yeah. And I'm so frustrated listening to national media being like, well, if Allen would just be willing to take the check down, Allen has been willing to yeah. be willing to take yeah. take the check down. The problem is he's checking it down to Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, who turn and burn like they're stuck in the mud, yeah. right? James Cook has a little bit of pedal to that metal, and I think he will absolutely be not just a viable check down option, but a viable yak option for this team. So I think between rushing and, and the reason why this one is saucy is because you've got Latavius Murray and Damian yeah. Harris who are going to eat up red zone touches yes. without a doubt, right? Yep. They're going to be red zone monsters. So for Cook to get to over an 11 and a half, he's got to be a factor in the short yardage passing game. And he's also got to be the home run hitter that we think his talent um, tells us that he can be. So I'm betting big that Cook is really going to take a massive step in the pass and breakaway run game in year two. Well, and I think that, um, you know, when you said turn and burn, all I could think of is, is a description I, I heard a sportscaster say of a uh, defensive lineman. He said he turns and churns because that's really what I think of when I think of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Neither oh of them was about to, like, explode out of, like, that catch point and burn everybody for 60 yards. So they're just turning and churning. Awesome. Love it. Love it. All right. What's your third and final? Um, third and final is that the Bills Chiefs game in, uh, I guess it's in November. It's late in the season. It's like the third or fourth or fifth from the end. I think the Bills Chiefs game at the end of the season decides the number one seed in the AFC. Hmm. Interesting. So you don't think Cincinnati, LA, Baltimore are going to be a factor in that conversation? No, I think that at that point in time, and, and certainly there might be a, you know, shuffling at the top happening near the end. But I think that if you were to look back at the schedule and like how it all plays out, that game is the decider because I think they're going to be so close in their records that, you know, that, you know, that's the tiebreaker. Yeah, I, I've I, I've got a harder time with that only because of the the difficulty level of the Bills yeah. oh, schedule this no. year. Um, Like I've got listen, I've got the Bills capping out at 11 wins this year. Um still still challenge still winning the division right oh yeah we forgot to do our one through four divi division oh, yeah. rankings i've got uh i've got bills patriots dolphins jets okay in that order don't know win loss records i'm just saying finish in that order all four could make the playoffs we could be looking at a a three and three split for all of these teams in the division because of just how muddled it is but um i've got the bills i got the bills ceiling at 11 wins this season because of the age of the defense, the injury history on the team and the strength, relative strength of schedule. Yeah. For, uh, for my, you know, end of the season, uh, AFC East, I got the bills, the jets, the dolphins, then the Patriots. I'm always going to be Man, kicking dirt on the Patriots. Always kicking dirt on the Patriots without a doubt. Yeah. It would be a hell of a year if I finished second. I'm telling you, man, at the, this is exact. This is what Belichick wants. Belichick wants us Everyone to count him out. He wants us to count toast. him out. Yeah. They're toast, right? And then all of a sudden he pulls a rabbit out of his hat, makes Mac Jones a serviceable QB again. 
Um, my final overall prediction um, for this season is um, going back to the offensive side of the ball. And I've got, this is similar to your Gabe Davis thing, Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis partnering to have thousand yard seasons this year. Oh, both of them have them? Both of them having a thousand yard season. Yeah. So Diggs feels like money in the bank. And I've talked about, I talked about snap share and target share and all this other kind of stuff. The way Davis, I feel like is going to be nestled into this particular offensive scheme. He's going to get a lot of chunk yardage plays. And again, when you look at formation that the bills are running out there, Davis played a fair amount of slot in camp Mm -hmm. and you see him eating up targets in the middle of the field. I think the Bills are going to use him in some pretty unique ways. I think they understand the limitations of just running him out on the boundary um, time after time after time. They're going to figure out ways to get him freed up this year. And I think he has a really, really good season. Well, and that's part of why I think that he's going to lead the team in receiving TDs is because I do think that Dalton Kincaid is going to break all the rookie tight end records. And I think Diggs is always going to be dependable as an outlet for Josh Allen, as he has been. And that I think creates a situation where Gabe Davis has way more of a capacity to eat than he has seen in any of his seasons in the league. In that it's just Diggs, Kincaid, Dawson Knox, James cook underneath. Like there's more things to worry about for defenses. And so I I think that they can't give as much attention to to Davis and he might be the person that's forgotten for Mm -hmm. a good portion of the season. Yeah, I agree. No one's talking about him yep. in this offseason like they were after that 4TD game in Kansas City. So the hype train is left, and hopefully now not being in the spotlight, Davis can do some of his best and most surprising work. So, so yeah. yeah. And the Bills could use that for sure. They absolutely could. That's All right. right. This has been the Thick Slot Podcast. Thank you for listening. This has been Sugar the A-Gap <laughs> with your host, Sly Dan and Slippery Jake. Jesus Christ. All right. Yeah, we really need to cut this off. All right. For those of you, for whatever reason, are still listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, and Spotify. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills.